Leaders, what keeps you up at night? Welcome to The Sweet Spot, the podcast series that expands the traditional term of what a boss is to tackle some of the most important issues in business. From business as usual and growing your market to everyday leadership issues or handling one in 100 year events, we aim to provide ongoing inspiration and education for CEOs, founders, management, shareholders and leaders of every stripe. The Sweet Spot is the future of work and business. Hi, I'm Emily Svatlnak and in today's episode I'll be speaking with Gemma Major. Gemma is passionate about enhancing youth well-being through youth-led change. Her current mission is to enable holistic, integrative and long-term regenerative change with young people that inevitably impacts wider communities. Seed Waikato is her current vehicle for this, an organisation she co-founded in 2017. They create community-based experiential education opportunities, facilitate community connection and support greater youth contribution. She's also passionate about redefining philanthropy in Aotearoa to foster greater inclusion, innovation and disruption from young people, and is a board member of Philanthropy New Zealand. Gemma was part of the founding team at Momentum Waikato, the region's community foundation. In the four years she worked for the foundation, she developed a heart for strategic philanthropy, developing services for donors, strategies to grow the fund, and launched Waikato Vital Science. Thank you, Gemma, so much for taking the time to talk to me today on this sweet spot. Um, before we get started, can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your journey so far? Yeah, kia ora, good morning. Um, it's so cool to be able to sit down and have this conversation. Thank you. Um, my name's Gemma and I live in Kirikiriroa, Hamilton. I'm originally from Australia and moved over here about 11 years ago now. I'm a mum to Malachi, 14 months old. I'm a wife to Jesse Major, Mr. Major. Um, and I'm really passionate about youth development. I'm really passionate about systems change and the role that philanthropy can play in that. And I'm really, really passionate about um, the possibilities in the future and the role that young people can play in them. That's quite an intro. So um, let's let's just dive right into that. You obviously have different types of roles in your life that you fulfil. Let's um, start with sort of the, the professional side first. You are passionate about youth development. Can can you just uncover that for me and and explain what that means for you and how you are approaching that journey? Mm, awesome. Okay. So for me, youth development in um, in a professional sense at the moment, I co-founded an organization here called Seed Waikato. And Seed Waikato was set up when a group of young people came together and decided that they wanted to be part of the change they wanted to see in the world rather than giving their power away and pointing the finger at um, other people or other organizations or other institutions we got together and decided hey what can we do with what we've got and what would it take for us to grow, develop and have a community around us that encouraged us to do that and had the accountability and support to turn our dreams into reality. And so 
for me, youth development in the context of Seed Waikato is about creating experiential education opportunities for young people to remember who they are. And this is something that's really important to me in youth development is that um, it's really critical that we actually create containers and opportunities and spaces for young people to learn what they already have within them and know that there is a uniqueness about them, that there are special gifts and strengths that they have that are often untapped and that actually those strengths foster motivation for growth. And so if we can create opportunities and experiences um, for young people to remember that and see the greatness within themselves, then we're building pathways of empowerment. Then we're going to see young people leave our um, different projects and programs and apply the same kinds of skills and tools and frameworks they've been experiencing (laughs) into other parts of their life and realize that they can do hard things and that they can develop relationships with people in a mentoring capacity, in a coaching capacity. They can be a great friend and have great friends. And so, um, yeah, youth development for me is about just building the capacity and capability of young people to to remember who they are, that they are great, um, that they have strengths, and that if they can tap into those and when they tap into those, that they unleash their potential and can be part of the change they want to see in the world. They can overcome their hurdles and their challenges and they can rise to their dreams and make them a reality. And and that's that's something that's that's hugely important to me and the team at Seed. <laughs> that is quite a um I would say a a very aspirational vision there and something that I think a lot of people, especially younger people, who might have struggled through high school or struggling with the um, familial backgrounds who struggled with 2020 and all that has meant. I I think that that vision sounds like something that could really be quite a eye-opening experience and offer a platform to feel seen, to feel empowered, to to feel that connection. So that's really, really amazing to to hear about that. So with Seed Waikato, before you got involved um, in starting that up, you were a um, founding team member at Momentum Waikato. And you're also currently, um, if I'm not mistaken, the youngest board member of Philanthropy New Zealand. How, can you, can you tell us a bit more about that journey and how that presumably influenced the beginnings of Seed Waikato, if it has, and any surprises along the way that that have led you to where you are today? Mm. <laughs> that's some great questions, Emily. Um, ooh, that's cool. Let's dive. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think my pathway into philanthropy was unusual. I, I couldn't even pronounce the word philanthropy. Like, what does it even mean? Like, I was so, it was so foreign. Um, and I was doing uh, one of my final papers at the University of Waikato on self-actualized leadership and um, Catherine Pavlovich, who is an incredible, incredible academic and professor at the university, had invited in 
Cheryl Reynolds, who was the founding CEO of Momentum Waikato, to speak to the team, um, to speak to the class about philanthropy and what a community foundation meant for our region. And she was also looking for people to come and volunteer. And I really wasn't clear about my career pathway. I knew that I really wanted to be working in a values aligned organisation that really cared deeply about social change, environmental change, but also used business strategies and tools to accelerate um, impact and outcomes. So for me, it was an amazing kind of universal like wow moment (laughs) where um, I approached Cheryl to do some volunteering and within a couple of months became the second staff member and working there as initially the foundation coordinator and then before I left into strategic initiatives it really gave me such an amazing platform to develop skills in ambiguity and uncertainty. So um, obviously there was a strategic plan set by the board and and we had to operationalise that. And it was just a really cool experience to be mentored by Cheryl, who who is a serial creative entrepreneur and some other really inspiring women who have had a huge impact in who I am today, Raywin Kirkman was also there and she um, she just invested so much time in me with lots of my questions about the world and why it was the way it was. Um, and Rivako, who also was an amazing, um, positive, inspiring person who just really challenged me to reframe my mindset on the world. Um, And so being able to learn from these inspiring women really laid the foundations for me to be able to think about, well, what, what, what next, I guess, what, what else is there? I think I wasn't really sure of my purpose or um, where I wanted to go. I just wanted to be part of something that mattered and to learn and have a growth mindset in that space. And I think it was probably three, three years in at Momentum that I realized strategic philanthropy is something that can totally disrupt social change. And when we looked at best practice, I had the absolute privilege of going to some global conferences in philanthropy over in the UK and learning from some of the biggest philanthropic foundations in America uh, about what actually are the frameworks that empower community change from a philanthropic perspective. So yeah, strategic philanthropy got me like really excited. (laughs) And so um, yeah, probably around that time as well, we did a project called Waikato Vital Signs, which was to really understand from the community's perspective, what are the aspirations and challenges in the Waikato from the community's perspective? And through that process, we realised that in the youth space, there wasn't anything in the young adult like area. There wasn't any organisations working for that kind of 20 to 35-year-old age bracket. But we noticed in that space that they too had dreams and were longing for a community to be part of and had significant wellbeing challenges. And so I kind of drew on the experiences and learnings over the last previous years in being part of the startup and was like, okay, well, I've got some great mindset 
strategies and some awesome, um, like, you know, expertise, I guess. Um, how can I use that strength and find other young people with strengths to actually start seed? So that kind of was the catalyst in there. And then moving on to philanthropy New Zealand's board, I, I left Momentum Waikato and still was really, I felt in my heart, I, I really wanted to continue on in philanthropy. Um, I locally was one of maybe a handful of people under the age of 30 working in the sector and I just felt that young people have a really important voice to play in disrupting philanthropy and the traditional thinking. So um, yeah, I had been part of Philanthropy New Zealand's youth advisory group and an opportunity came up to apply for a board role and I knew my value proposition and I knew that um, that it would be a different voice around the table. And so I just had to back myself and definitely feeling imposter syndrome and definitely feeling like, uh, yeah, all that rattled internal dialogue come up. But um, it's not about me. It's actually about um, being of service to my communities that I represent and I'm part of and wanting to really see systemic change through philanthropy and and understanding what small role I can play with that. So, yeah. That is quite a lot to unpack there and I'm really happy that you are willing to dive deep because it is such a big topic and that is quite important to talk about so I'd like to unpack what we just talked about bit by bit so going from not even knowing how to pronounce philanthropy to being on the board how do you think because traditionally at least um, I at least viewed philanthropy as something for the ultra rich, really wealthy. You've got these high net worth individuals, usually older generation who donate vast amounts to museums and exhibitions and um, helping third world countries. How does philanthropy, how do you define philanthropy in the wider sense, but specifically in New Zealand? Yeah, that's um, a really... That's a really popular misconception, I think, as well. Like, I think I, I say philanthropy and people are just like, philanthropy, what? Like, that's for those people, you know? But I think when I was doing my research on best practice philanthropy around the world, I, I ended up diving in and doing a, a self-directed research project with the university because there wasn't much literature around philanthropy in an Aotearoa context either. Um, but what I found was that actually philanthropy just means love of humanity and that philanthropy can be defined in a modern context as generosity. And so to be generous can be to give small amounts regularly. And that's how I would classify myself as a philanthropist. I give $10 a month. That's what I can give right now. I give $10 a month to the Waikato Women's Fund, a cause that I'm really passionate about. And by being part of a giving circle and um, using my small donation with many other people's donations, big and small, together we create a much more significant collective impact than what we could individually. And so that's a giving circle is, is, a, is a really awesome um, new way of thinking about philanthropy and generosity and giving. 
it also generosity can be defined as giving your time so you could be philanthropic through the way that you show up for different causes that you care about and give in that sense so yeah I think I think there's a, a many ways that we can slice what being generous means but I think I I want to, through this work, invite people to realise how they already are being philanthropic and are already part of philanthropy and the fabric of philanthropy. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's really inspiring when you reframe it to actually understand that we can all be part of it and are. And one, one statistic that really, um, really I'm so inspired by is that Māori actually donate the most time. And it's so powerful to reframe philanthropy in that lens and really recognise how philanthropic Māori are um, and always have been. So, yeah, it's a cool reframe to kind of push the boundaries on um, what it means to be a philanthropist and, and how we can be philanthropic. That's really, really amazing to, to hear it framed like that. And it makes so much sense because yeah it doesn't have to be those big huge donations it, it, it is the little things it is donating your time it is just showing up for a course so that's that's really um a really nice mindset to have about it so touching on what you mentioned earlier in terms of having to back yourself and being a young woman in a leadership role on boards and backing yourself to go, hey, I want to be on Philanthropy New Zealand's board. What challenges, both internally and externally, have you had to deal with and and overcome to get to the point where you're at now? I think for me, experiencing mental distress has definitely been something that is challenging because it's like, do I actually have the capacity and capability to do this? when I do experience periods of bipolar, anxiety, and at times psychosis. And so for me, overcoming those hurdles of, I guess, you know, these health challenges definitely play a role. Um, And then it's also, yeah, like you say, it's the self-belief, the imposter syndrome, Um, I didn't even know it was called imposter syndrome until I read an article that the, I think the spinoff did and I'm like reading through the things and I'm like, oh, (laughs) that's what that is. (laughs) Um, So yeah, there's been obviously, yeah, those internal struggles and I have to say I've been so incredibly lucky to have amazing mentors and women around me in leadership roles that have encouraged me to do things and and when you are experiencing that self-doubt and inner you know inner challenges to have someone say hey actually I could see you in that space and you'd be great and that actually is a huge encourager and and I think many of the people that have planted those seeds for me don't actually know the impact of what that's done so it's really important for me with my youth development work as well to pay that on and pass that forward when those opportunities come up. Um, 
but also incredibly grateful for the leadership at Philanthropy New Zealand. Sue McCabe's leadership as a CE is remarkable. Um, the youth advisory group had been meeting for a couple of years and there was actually a proposal that went up to the board that said, hey, we, we really need a coordinator to support the projects that the youth advisory group is putting forward and we really need representation on Philanthropy New Zealand's board. And so um, every Everything that got put up was approved and so you know that's with great leadership that's with um, that's with the the previous board and so actually believing in the value that young people bring to the sector and so it's it's also made that journey easier knowing that actually this it, I'm not pushing down too many you know boundaries and banging through doors it's kind of like we're opening the door and can you please come through so yeah it's really important that I think definitely in in a youth development sense as well that I'm really mindful of these privileged spaces and places that I get to be in and how I continue to open doors and pass that on, let the ladder down so other young people are able to come along and um, and actually widen the ladder so that there's more of us going up together. I think, yeah, to, to rise up in a singular way is um, actually not beneficial for the communities that I'm part of. It's actually when we can rise together that we'll see some really amazing changes. So, yeah. Yeah, that's my sense. (laughs) If you are comfortable, I would like to dive deeper into the mental health aspect. 2020 has been a challenge for for everyone. And as someone who has been on, on a journey yourself, can you talk a bit about your experiences with that and how you recognize moments when when you're maybe not doing so well and who you reach out to can you tell me a bit about the journey that that brings with it it for me started when I was in my teenage years and had undiagnosed mental health challenges and and was experiencing some traumatic experiences without the right support around me and I think um, as a coping strategy in my teenage years I self-medicated and um, abused substances and so what that then meant was that the undiagnosed mental health challenges were exacerbated and became a lot worse to a point where I was unable to hold down a job Um, I just scraped through to finish high school um, and I actually didn't have anywhere to live so my circumstances got quite quite bad and um, I had my grandparents call from New Zealand and say hey did you want to come and stay with us for a bit and that really was a catalyst for change for me and that was 11 years ago I moved to New Zealand as a 17 year old and was lucky enough to um, be able to get access to uh, a community drug and alcohol service here that provided wraparound support for 18 months as an outpatient um, in recovery. And that was working really intensely with psychologists, counsellors, social workers and psychiatrists. And finding a right medication was really critical in that time. I think there's there's a lot of stigma around mental health 
then there still is now um, even though we all experience different varying levels of distress mental health is something we all have it's that we all experience different different levels of distress within our mental health so um, over that time I really knew that I wanted to be more than the label that they had given me and I wanted to really triple down on the stuff that they were saying I needed to do, which was really hard. I relapsed a lot, I screwed it up, but I would take, you know, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. And that repetition over time actually built a new version of me and a version of me that was able to slowly reintegrate back into society. So um, my psychiatrist at one point had said to me, you'll never, you'll, you'll really struggle to live independently, hold down a full-time job or go to university. And, and you just need to be really mindful of that in terms of your expectations on your recovery. And so when I gained enough um, tools to self-manage I applied for university and then you know um which is where we met look at you now um and and slowly but surely and it was really stressful and it was really hard none of this was a walk in the park but slowly but surely I managed to overcome each of those labels that he had given me um and I think now if I think about how I support my own well-being which is really important conversation to have like how do we support our own well-being um you know what can we do with what we've got and that's why I have really been quite passionate about starting my well-being project at uh, Instagram platform to actually open source and reflect on the specific tools strategies and techniques that enabled me to push the boundaries on what those labels meant um, and hear from other people about what what that looks like for them too because I think it's so personal and and individualized in terms of what feels good and right for you in your well-being journey um but I think yeah to be able to open source and push the boundaries and say like yes my name is Gemma I experience bipolar anxiety and psychosis and I also am a mama and I also am passionate about governance and you know it's kind of pushing the boundaries on what those labels mean for your life sentencing (laughs) um and and going yeah um I'm quite comfortable to to stand in front of the stigma because maybe that might empower someone else to stand in front of their labels and push the boundaries on it, on what that means for them. So some of the tools that are really important for me now, journaling, writing, and actually regulating my own emotion through kind of just expressing myself and getting that out of my head and onto paper it looks like breath work, which um, I've been lucky enough to do some really awesome workshops and um, discover that practice for myself. It looks like nature baths and spending a lot of time in the ocean or in nature without headphones on, just really being present with what can we hear, what can we smell, what can we taste. And of course, having just an amazing fano around me that, um, that, loves me and accepts me for who I am and all my curly whirlies <laughs> and um, and who I can have fun with because sometimes it can all seem a bit serious thinking about 
how many challenges we're up against. Um, so to have fun and play and, and creativity and spontaneity and random dance parties, it's all just part of figuring out, hey, what can I do with what I got? And um, being mindful of being responsible for that as well and going, okay, it's up to me to create the space and time in a day for these things because they support me to be well which then means I can do well in the governance role. I can be a present mum. I can show up for my communities and be of service. So, yeah. Thank you for that. And I think um, I'll definitely make sure we have um, a link to my wellbeing project in the show notes for anyone um, who wants to um, find, find a space to maybe connect and see that if they are going through through similar struggles or just just wanting to sort of educate themselves a bit more and, and tools to help them ground themselves um that, that's really powerful so thank you for that um I, I would like to talk a bit about how you're obviously a very strong person to go from go through that journey of having your mental health challenges and and going through them and having people tell you you will struggle to to fit into life and function and you so clearly have have proved those um, labels wrong and it's incredible to see and it's so great to to be able to share that in in terms of the different roles that you fill for yourself how do you find or do you find balance between being a mama, being a wife, being a leader on boards, being the founder of Seed Waikato, of, of looking after your own mental health and well-being? How do you balance that? Do you balance that? <laughs> hmm. I would love to say that it is so well balanced and, you know, everything flows in synergy between the different competing priorities of my life. But the reality is it isn't. And I feel like um, I've had to really, as a high performer, I think really go, what is enough? And actually, since the birth of my son I've actually gone back to the psychologist and have been doing some coaching around um, you know what is at the core of the high achievement what motivates this consistent drive for more and it's actually been a really interesting journey to unpack what is at the core of working ridiculous amounts of hours always pushing boundaries um just stretching into new frontiers you know and, and it certainly has its strengths but it also has its challenges which is balance <laughs> and so really doing the inner work and bringing awareness to what drives the not enoughness has been really empowering to actually reframe boundaries around work in particular 
um, because I definitely think that for me, my work at times would be a coping strategy or a distraction for my inner world. And so to be able to just bring awareness to that and go, okay, cool, with the new awareness, what am I going to do about this? And so that's looked like putting more structure and boundaries around what work is and actually saying, what kind of mum will I be in this season? Because Seed is in a startup phase there's still a lot of ambiguity there's still a lot of um love that is being poured into you know validating a concept and and scaling that so I think in this season I am not trying to have Malachi at home with me full-time and work full-time and be a great friend and have the best marriage it's just reframing what does the season look like for me it doesn't need to be like this forever but being realistic about this current context, what is enough? And being really clear on framing that up in those different areas of my life. Um, and then it, it's the accountability and commitment to what has been said. So that that's definitely a learning space for me right now, in all honesty. I'm, I'm like learning how to navigate work with boundaries. I've never done that before. I used to work 80 hour weeks. <laughs> um, and I'm learning to reframe expectations about what motherhood will look like for me in this season and actually, actually bring, bring awareness and be mindful about what I want that to look like and then frame the rest of life around that. So it's a work, it's a whip, it's a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's certainly um sounds like you you're doing the the hard but good work on being conscious of that for for other leaders out there that may be listening to this podcast do you have a go-to tip or a go-to piece of advice for those who are struggling to set those boundaries or struggling to take a break from that need to hustle all the time to, to carve out that space for themselves? That's a really, really powerful question. And I think a question that we need to be asking ourselves a lot more and not just one off because I definitely can see times where I fall back into cycles and patterns of the old. But I think it really is about coming down to the present moment with pen and paper and journaling on what is beneath this insatiable desire to be more, grow more, have more, expand more, you know, what does it actually look like as a practice in your life to regularly connect and go within and unpack that and see what comes up and sit in the discomfort as well. For me, when Malachi was born, obviously I was on maternity leave I started working when I was 14 and nine months, the legal age over in Australia. And I've never not worked or not been studying or not working multiple jobs or, and to sit with all the things that came up from having time and space and then being deeply triggered by a crying child <laughs> was like, wow, I actually have a lot beneath the surface that I still need to do the work on. And I think to just be able to create some time and space, whether it's, you know, 15 minutes or an hour, you know, sitting down by the river in nature and just quietening everything and going within, I think is just such an important practice. Um, 
And then I think also a lot of what I've seen over the last couple of years, obviously more so in the youth development and the personal development and the leadership space, is that often we want those answers from someone else. We want to someone else to tell us what is our truth and that you actually, in my experience, I worked with a coach earlier this year, Rawinia Judson, she's incredible. And there was this one thing that she said that always stood, stood with me, which was what feels good and right for you. And it was such a reframing of like, I might have the answer within me. And so what does that look like when you come up against those big questions, even in business, um, even in the charitable space, even in any part of your life? Um, it's like, how can I actually sit with and reflect on what feels good and right for me and what my inner wisdom is sharing if I can quieten all the noise from the outer world? So, yeah, I think those two, those two strategies and, and techniques have been hugely empowering for me maybe for someone else too. I think there hopefully will be at least one person listening saying, okay, I, I'm going to start, try carve up that space, try journaling and, and look into that. So I, I, thank you for that. Um, before, before we wrap up, I have one final question. And, and that has to do with the future of work. So at Alexander PR, we work a lot in that space with our clients and connections. And obviously COVID-19 and the lockdowns have changed a lot of things, including how we work, if we work from home or the office. Um, in your view, what do you see as key aspects of what the future of work should look like or could look like? And what do we need to do to get there? I think um, when I think about the future of work, I think about well-being being so much more core to culture and that we are building teams and, and environments where well-being isn't something that happens after work or before work or on your lunch break or or that you're actually working for to have money to do later, that actually well-being is so core and critical in culture and it's actually so valued because when we're well, we can build from our strengths and we can do the remarkable. And so I think about the future of work, I think about more focus and energy being put into soft skills and well-being in terms of what feels good and right for team members and for organisations. Um, I also think about purpose and, and unleashing purpose and passion in a bigger way um, and the role of automation in um, letting us move more into that space because we have the technology to be able to support uh, more of the technical stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see a world where we can use our strengths and skills to um, unlock the human potential of possibilities and then what kind of businesses and organisations we might see. Fascinating. I look forward to seeing what that that looks like in future. Um, Gemma, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It's been such a pleasure and inspiring and I hope that 
uh, listeners will find some inspiration in some or all of what you said today. Um, if our listeners want to learn more about you, follow your journey, or even get involved in Seed Waikato, where can they find you? They can find Seed Waikato online. We're on every social media platform. Um, hello, youth organisation. <laughs> Um, and we are seedwaikato.nz if you wanted to check out our website um, you can connect with me on my well-being project if you're interested in uncovering your well-being journey and exploring what that might look like a bit more deeper Um, and I'm on LinkedIn if you want to do ye old LinkedIn I'm there (laughs) (laughs) wonderful thank you we'll we'll put that in the show notes as well Um, All that's left to say is thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Emily. It was such a pleasure to connect. And I'm so grateful that you've prioritized young women in this space and that you want to elevate stories of young women in particular who experience mental distress. And I think, yeah, that's really inspiring for other young women who are curious about if they can live beyond their label too. So thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Please like, review or share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you'd like to follow us, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn under Alexander PR or follow the links in the show notes below. Until next time, thank you for listening.